0: Welcome back, my friends, to the Big Book Podcast. My name is Howard, and I'm an alcoholic, sober since 1988, one day at a time. In this episode, the 23rd and 24th stories from the Personal Stories section of the first edition of Alcoholics Anonymous, published in 1939. Published in only the first edition of the Big Book, these stories are entitled The Car Smasher and Hindsight. They highlight the cunning, baffling, and powerful aspects of alcoholism that linger even during periods of sobriety and the slips they can cause when complacency, overconfidence, or self-will take the place of action, humility, and the will of a power greater than ourselves. These stories also demonstrate the critical link between helping other alcoholics and maintaining sobriety upon which the A.A. Founders established our program of recovery. And now, the original stories, The Car Smasher and Hindsight. The Car Smasher During the first week of March, 1937, through the grace of God, I ended twenty years of a life made practically useless because I could not do two things. First, I was unable to not take a drink. Second, I was unable to take a drink without getting drunk. Perhaps a third as important as the other two should be added, my being unwilling to admit either of the first two. With the result, I kept trying to drink without getting drunk and kept making a nightmare of my life. "'causing suffering and hardship to all those relatives and friends "'who tried so hard to help me, and whom, when I was sober, "'I took the greatest pleasure in pleasing. "'The first time I drank anything strong, or in greater quantity than a glass of beer, "'I got disgustingly drunk and missed the dinner which had been arranged for me "'in honor of my coming marriage. "'I had to be taken home and remained in bed the following day.' more sick than I thought a human could be and live. Yet, until two years ago, I periodically did the same thing. Making money was always pretty easy when I was sober and worked. All right when sober, absolutely helpless with a drink aboard. But I seemed to have had the idea that making money or a living was something to take or let alone. I got into the real estate business, began to neglect business, sometimes with four houses under construction, wouldn't see any of them for a week or even longer, sometimes paid good money for an option, then forgot to exercise it. I made and lost plenty of money in the market. Understand, I wasn't actually drunk all of this time, but there seemed always to be an excuse to have a drink. And this first one, more and more often, led to my becoming drunk. As time went on, Periods between drunks got shorter, and I was full of fear fear that I wouldn't be able to do anything I agreed to do, fear of meeting men, worrying about what they might know of my drinking and its results all of which made me quite useless whether I was sober or drunk. Thus I drifted, breaking promises to my wife, my mother and a host of other relatives and friends who stood more from me and tried harder than humans should be expected to, to help me. I always seemed to pick the most inopportune time for a binge. An important business deal to be closed might find me in another city. Once, when entrusted to purchase for a large customer, I agreed to meet his representative in New York. I spent the time waiting for a train in a bar, arrived in New York tight, Stayed tight the week, and came home by a route twice the distance from New York. Worked weeks by long distance, wire, letters, and personal calls to contact possible business connections under proper conditions, and finally succeeded, only to show up tight or get tight and insult the man whose friendship or respect meant so much. Each time there was the feeling of regret, inability to understand why, but a firm determination that it would never happen again. But it did. In fact, the periods between became increasingly shorter, and the duration of each binge longer. During the aforementioned period, I had spent thousands of dollars, my home was broken up, half a dozen cars smashed up, I had been picked up by the police for driving while intoxicated, plain drunk, had sponged and borrowed money, cashed rubber checks and made such a general nuisance of myself that I lost all the friends I had. At least they felt unwilling to be a party to financing me while I made a more complete ass of myself. And I, on my side, was ashamed to face any of them when I was sober. My friends secured jobs for me. I made good on them for a time. I advanced quickly to night superintendent in a factory, but it wasn't long until I was missing or worse, turning up drunk, was warned, warned again, finally fired. I was later rehired as a factory hand and, mighty glad to have it, advance again, then back to the bottom, always the same process. I drank continuously, and when I drank, sooner or later, and generally sooner, I got drunk and threw everything away. During the early part of 1935, my brother secured my release from the city jail. On that day, by sincere but non-alcoholic friends, I was shown what might be done about my drinking with the help of God. I asked for this help, gratefully accepted it, and in addition to losing my desire for drink, asked for and received the same help in other matters. I began to earn my living, and in my newfound security, was unashamed to meet people I had avoided for years with happy results. Things continued well. I had two or three advancements to better jobs with greater earning power. My every need was being met as long as I accepted and acknowledged the divine help which was so generously given. I find now, as I look back, that this period covered about six or eight months, Then I began to think how smart I was, to wonder if my superiors realized what they had in me, if they were not pretty small about the money they paid me. As these thoughts grew, my feeling of gratefulness grew less. I was neglecting to ask for help. When I received it as I always did, I neglected to acknowledge it. Instead, I took great credit for myself. I began to take credit for the non-drinking, too. It came to me strongly that I had conquered the drinking habit myself. I became convinced of my great will power. Then someone suggested a glass of beer. I had one. That was even better than I thought. I could take a drink and not get drunk. So another day, another beer, until it was regular every day. Now I was indeed in the saddle concerning drink. Could take it or leave it alone. Just to prove it to myself, I decided to march right past the place I usually stopped for beer, and I felt pretty good as I went to the parking lot for my car. The longer I drove, the greater was my pride that I had finally licked liquor. I was sure I had, so sure, in fact, that I stopped and had a beer before I went home. In my smugness, I continued to drink beer and began occasionally to drink liquor. So it went, until inevitably, as darkness follows the sun, I got drunk and was right back where I had been fifteen years before, slipping into a binge every now and then, never knowing when they would come nor where I would wind up. This lasted about eight months. I didn't miss much time from work, did spend one ten-day stretch in the hospital after a beating I got while drunk was warned a few times by my superiors, but was getting by. In the meantime, I had heard of some men who, like myself, were what I had always scoffed at being, alcoholics. I had been invited to see them, but after twenty years of drinking, I felt there was nothing wrong with me. They might need it. They might be queer, but not me. I wasn't going to get drunk again." Of course I did, again and again, until these men not only contacted me, but took me under their wing. After a few days of degoofing in a hospital, these men came to me one by one and told me of their experiences. They didn't lecture, didn't tell me that I should quit, but they did tell me how to quit. That was important and simple, too. Their suggestion was that we simply acknowledge we have made a pretty dismal failure of our lives, that we accept as truth and act upon what we had always been taught and known, that there was a kind and merciful God, that we were His children, and that if we would let Him, He would help us. I had certainly made a mess of my life. From the age of twenty I had thrown aside everything God had seen fit to endow me with. Why not avail myself of this all-wise, ever-present help? This I did. I ask for, accept, and acknowledge this help, and know that, so long as I do, I shall never take a drink, and what is more important, though impossible without the first, all other phases of my life have been helped. There are, it seems to me, four steps to be taken by one who is a victim of alcoholism. first. Have a real desire to quit. Second, admit you can't. This is hardest. Third, ask for his ever-present help. Fourth, accept and acknowledge this help. Hindsight Fired? Still, I got a new and better job, one which gave me more time to relax and where drinking was permitted during working hours. People were beginning to criticize my drinking habits, and I scoffed at them. Hadn't I earned $10,000 that year? And wasn't this the middle of the depression? Who were they to say I couldn't handle my liquor? A year of this, and I was fired. Other jobs followed with the same net result. After each experience of this kind, I would sit down and figure out the reason why it happened. I always found a good reason, and usually people accepted it and gave me another chance. For weeks, sometimes months, I wouldn't touch a drop, and because I could do this, I reasoned that there was a real excuse for that last bender. And since that excuse no longer existed, I could start to drink moderately again. I usually did for a while. Then I would step up the consumption about one glass per day until I reached the stage where all of the past unhappy experiences associated with drinking were brought back to my mind. Soon I was crying in my beer, full of self-pity, and off again to a flying start towards a floundering finish. How many times this happened, I don't know. I don't even want to know. I do know that during this period I completely smashed nine new automobiles and was never scratched. Even this didn't convince me that there might be a God who was looking out for me in answer to the prayers of others. I made many friends and abused them terribly. I didn't want to, but when it was a question of a friendship or a drink, I usually took the drink. In a final effort to escape, I went to New York, thinking I could leave my reputation and troubles behind me. It didn't work. I was hired by eight nationally known organizations and fired just as quickly when they had checked my references. The world was against me. They wouldn't give me a chance. So I continued my drinking and took any mediocre job I could get. Occasionally, I dropped into a church, half hoping that I might absorb something, anything that might help a little bit. On one of these visits, I saw and met a girl who I felt could be the answer to all of my problems. I told her all about myself and how I felt sure that with her friendship and love, everything could and would be different. Although born in New York, she was from Missouri, I would have to show her first She had seen other girls try to reform men by marrying them, and she knew it didn't work. She suggested praying and having faith, and a lot of things that seemed silly at the time. But I really got down to business and started doing some serious bargaining with God. I prayed and prayed. In all earnestness, I said, If you will get this girl for me, then I'll stop drinking for you. And, if you will only get me my original job back, I'll drink moderately for you. I soon found out that God didn't work that way, because I didn't get the girl or the job. Six months later, I was sitting in a small hotel on the west side of New York, full of remorse and desperate because I didn't know what would happen next. A middle-aged man approached me and said in a very sincere voice, "'Do you really want to stop drinking?' Immediately I answered, yes, because I knew that was the correct answer. He wrote down a name and address and said, When you are sure you do, go and see this man. He walked away. I began to think, did I really want to quit? Why should I? If I couldn't have this girl, and I couldn't ever have a good job again, why in the hell should I quit? I tucked the address into my pocket, along with a nickel for subway fare, just in case I ever decided to really quit. I started drinking again, but could get no happiness or release, regardless of the number of drinks. Occasionally I would check up to see if the address and the nickel were still safe, because I was being tortured with one thought this girl had given to me. You must be decent for your own sake, and because you want to be decent not because someone else wants you to be. A week later, I found myself in the presence of the man whose address was in my pocket. His story was incredible. I couldn't believe it, but he had the proof. I met men whose stories convinced me that, in the ranks of men who had been heavy drinkers, I was an amateur and a sissy. What I heard was hard to believe, but I wanted to believe it. What's more, I wanted to try it and see if it wouldn't work for me. It worked, and is still working. For weeks I was bitter against society. Why didn't someone put me wise to this before? Why did I have to go on like that for years, making my parents unhappy, abusing friends, and passing up opportunities? It wasn't fair that I should be the instrument to make people unhappy. I believe now that I was given this experience so that I might understand and be of use in helping others to find a solution to this and other problems. When I decided to do something about my problem, I was reconciled to the fact that it might be necessary for me to wash dishes, scrub floors, or do some menial task for possibly many years in order to reestablish myself as a sober, sane, and reliable person. Although I still wanted and hoped for better things in life, I was prepared to accept whatever was due me. Once I became sincere, good things began to happen to me. My first experience in overcoming fear was three weeks later, when I applied for a position with a national organization. After numerous questions, I was finally asked why I had left the company I had been with six years. I replied that I had been fired for being a drunk. The manager was flabbergasted and so completely astounded by the truth that he refused to believe me. I referred him to my former employer, but he refused to write him. But he did give me the job. It has been three and a half years since I made that decision. Those years have been the happiest years of my life. The little girl who was big enough to tell me the nasty truth when I needed it is now my wife. Eight months ago, I went to another city to set up a new business. I had sufficient money to last me several months. What I wanted to accomplish could have been done under ordinary circumstances in about two weeks. The obstacles I have encountered and overcome are hard to enumerate." At least 20 times I have been sure that I would be doing business within the next 24 hours, and at least 20 times something has happened which later made it seem that the business never would get started. While I am writing this, I happen to be at the low point of the 21st time. Money is exhausted. All recent developments have been unfavorable. Everything seems on the surface to be wrong. Yet, I am not discouraged. I am not blue. I feel no bitterness toward these people who have tried to obstruct the progress of the business, and somehow I feel because I have tried hard, played square, and met situations that something good will come from this whole experience. It may not come the way I want it, but I sincerely believe that it will come the way that it is best. This concludes the reading of The Car Smasher and Hindsight from the first edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm grateful you listened. Stay tuned for the next episode, also featuring a suite of three short stories from the original big book entitled On His Way, An Alcoholic's Wife, and An Artist's Concept. If you are new to this podcast, please note that all 11 chapters in the main section of the big book are in earlier episodes that you can listen to anytime. Download and subscribe for free to the Big Book Podcast at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or listen at our website, bigbookpodcast.com, where you will also find transcriptions of chapters in the main section of the Big Book. If you enjoyed listening, I'd be super grateful if you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It'll help others find us. And please share this podcast with your friends and anyone you know who has a desire to stop drinking. It may be the only version of the big book they ever hear.